Midwife calling. Hello and welcome to Poplar Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast, where we are taking each episode of Call the Midwife without spoilers one by one to recap and talk about. Is that what I say here? I don't know. You say something pretty close to that. I'm Jan Moffat. I'm Dr. Paul Moffat, not that kind of doctor. And today we're talking about the second episode of season two. If you don't consider the Christmas special a part of season two, which mostly people don't, and we aren't. So this episode was directed by Roger Goldby and written by Harriet Warner. This is Roger Goldby's first episode directing Call the Midwife, but it is Harriet Warner's second time writing. She wrote season one, episode five, which is the Frank and Peggy episode. And also, as might be relevant for this episode, it is the episode where Jenny turns down Jimmy because she's still in love with Gerald. Oh, there you go. So it comes full circle. Yes. Cool. All right. So let's get into the recap. As usual, we begin with our mature Jenny narration. She narrates about being young, but yet trusted by all the women of Poplar. Peter and Chummy dance in their home, talking about a decision they've made. And Sister Bernadette wakes Cynthia to go to a birth. Cynthia delivers Rena Kelly's baby, a boy. He's brought around to the whole family, and they celebrate and toast with a glass of whiskey. Cynthia has a small sip. Chummy tells the nuns that she's going to Sierra Leone for six months, and they are all upset. Meanwhile, Sister Monica Joan has been taking taxis to visit her nephew, much to the chagrin of Sister Julienne, who doesn't have the funds to spare. Jenny runs into Jimmy again, who is working on a building and happy to see Jenny. Chummy leaves for training, leaving Peter behind. First thing, maybe first thing first about this episode is there are a lot of separate intertwining plots and you said and you warned me before uh we started recording and that your first section of recap would be like i'm just gonna do the setup of each of the various plots yeah because this is this is the first like quarter of the episode is all these setups for the entire plot and you say interweaving I'm having a hard time with this episode because of it, the lack of interweaving. And yeah. maybe as we talk about it more, we'll find some threads between them. But they're all, we have Cynthia's story. We have Jenny and Jimmy. We have Chummy has a new story. And we have Sister Monica Joan taking taxis as a tiny little plot in the episode. And they're kind of, yeah, you're right, interweaving isn't really, they're interweaving in terms of time given in the episode, but in terms Mm -hmm. of, like, impact on each other. This is really an episode where there are separate stories all happening at once. I think there are thematic connections between them. I think so, and we'll flesh those out as as we talk. I think that this is one of the consequences as well of this becoming more of an ensemble show. In the first season, it was an ensemble show, but we definitely were focusing on Jenny as the character, as the intro to this world, as, you know, as the writer of the books. And so, uh, but as we've gotten to know these other characters, we become more interested in what they're doing. And so we don't want to just talk about Jenny. We want to focus on the other nurses. That was the last episode and this episode, but... But we still do want to know what's happening to Jenny, and we still do want to know what's happening to Chummy, but then... And so there's a lot of... A yeah. lot going on in this episode. I think you're totally right that there's a shift here in the second season. And we'll... I think... Uh, in my memory, we will. We'll see when we rewatch it. But I think we will consider continue to see that even more. That, like, first season is Jenny and friends. <laughs> mm-hmm. And second season already is, like... Jenny is one of the nurses. Yeah. And she gets the narration, but she does not get the A plot necessarily. Yeah. Let's let's talk about uh Chummy and Peter for a moment. Mm-hmm. Uh first of all, like them 
dancing around in their jammies and their flat is just adorable. Yeah, they're sweet and I like them. I always like them. Yeah, basically, they're great. And Chummy, like, don't Josh. I love Chummy. I love the way that she talks. Mm -hmm. I love that her, like, always, she's always so sincere. And that's Mm -hmm. one thing about, like, uh, their relationship is so very sweet. And uh, this, start with it, and things are going to happen with them in this episode. But uh, Mm -hmm. it's all based on kind of sincerity and earnestness from them and support i just i love this plot line with peter and chummy even though chummy is barely in the episode where it shows their marriage as a marriage of mutual support which uh stands out in the 50s not because these marriages didn't exist in the 50s but because of the stereotype one might have in their head of the 50s of being like the wife stays at home and the dad goes to work. And the, but the, the wife and the dad. Wow, where did that come from? <laughs> the man goes to work and the woman stays home. And there's that like kind of rosy idea. And this is really good to see that that's not, you know, that's not every marriage. That's not every... There are definitely these marriages of equal partnerships and this equal support that, you know... He could, Peter could easily say, no, we're not going to Sierra Leone. I have a job here. I'm studying to become a sergeant. I'm... This is this is our life here. You stay home. But instead, he does everything he can to support her dream. And taking six months to go to Sierra Leone, like just after they've gotten married, all this stuff, he does, and he spends the entire episode uh, physically exercising so he can support her dream, so he doesn't disappoint her. And that, I feel like, is just the way a marriage should be and the way and the lovely portrayal of a true loving marriage that we see on this show uh, again and again. And then we also see the opposite on this show. So it's nice to have that balance of like these other things exist. Yeah. And when you keep saying about support, like it's uh, emotional support, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, they're both working. They're both bringing income in, but it's fine. It's, uh, most profoundly that they're emotionally supportive of each other's uh, dreams dreams and fulfillment in life. And, you know, it is heartwarming to see and it's why they're such a lovely couple. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk for a moment about the very beginning about the mature Jenny narration. Yes. That she talks about uh, the nurses being so young and yet all of the women of Poplar trust them. And people, not just women, but but people in general, trust the trust the nurses and trust the nuns. And the nuns, you have the older ones. You have Sister Evangelina, obviously. You have Sister Julienne, who's a little older. Sister Bernadette is unclear what her age is, but she obviously has more experience. Yeah. Um. But these people. But this is what happens nowadays too. Is I can relate to that idea of I send my kids off to school and I'm like these teachers are like 22 they're really young like I felt like teachers were all old when I was in school but of course now that I'm an adult sending my kids off they're younger than me and they're taking care of my kids I don't know about that and this uh but this absolute trust that they have to put in these young nurses because they have the experience they have the education and training well, and it's one of these things, too, uh, like when you say they have to, it's, we keep coming back to it. It's one of the central themes, I think, of the show. Of like, there are things you don't necessarily want to do, but you have to. Not yes. because they're for, not because they've earned it, not because it's for the good, but because you just have to. Mm-hmm. And I feel like trusting the midwives is one of those things. You just have to trust them. Yeah. You just have to. Cynthia's on call for Rena Kelly's baby, and so that's who's going to come. Even though she was up late delivering a baby earlier, she's had her sleep, and now it's it's her turn because other people are doing other things. So they have no choice but to accept that Cynthia is delivering that baby. And then the narration says, because they trusted us, we trusted ourselves. And the episode's going to be mm-hmm. about self-doubt. And uh, we see that already with Chami's story. It's going to be most profoundly about that with Cynthia, but... Even with Chummy's little story of like, should I go to Sierra Leone? Is God calling me to Sierra Leone or am I just being 
selfish mm-hmm. is like from the get go, from the very first uh, moments of the episode with Chummy and Peter, they both mm-hmm. are doubting themselves. Yeah, and the the idea. It's, I mean, it's similar to why the women in Poplar have to trust the nurses. They just have to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the midwives, the nurse midwives, have to trust themselves because they just have to. Mm-hmm. And I suppose there is, for the nurse midwives, an option that isn't available for the uh, mothers in Poplar, which is they can trust themselves or they can quit. Yeah. Um, and the reason given at the beginning of the episode is they trust themselves because other people trust them. Which is kind of also what happened at the end of the last episode with Trixie and Sister mm. Evangelina on the yeah. boat. Like, you have to trust me, Sister Evangelina, or I won't trust myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we see the that... that episode, yeah, leads into the beginning of this one. That's true. Yeah. Uh, I want to mention the Sister Monica Joan plot just because it's very minuscule, is that Sister Monica Joan is taking taxis... She gets back to the to Nana's house and the it comes out of their petty cash. Uh, Sister Julienne is upset about this because they don't have a lot of money to spare. Sister Monica Joan gets upset about that. And then Sister Julienne finds money in the budget to give to her. So there's more at the end, but that's basically like the plot of it is Sister Julienne realizes that this is imp- so important that Sister Monica Joan is respected and give, finds the money to give to her to take these taxis. And it's about being trusted and doubted again. Like Sister Monica Joan, we have seen from the beginning and we're going to continue to see because it's very important to her. She wants to be taken seriously. She wants to be trusted. And the uh, offense isn't that there isn't money to spend, but that she is not deemed trustworthy and worthy of uh, her, yeah, her... Yeah, not just trustworthy, worthy. Worthy. Like, her judgment isn't deemed worthy, and her desires aren't deemed worthy, mm-hmm. and that's... She was once useful, and that's the thing she wants to be most, but if she can't be useful, she at least wants to be respected. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if she isn't allowed to decide to spend some money on a taxi, then she isn't trusted and respected. Yeah. I want, before we move on from her plot, to, like, they're, all these taxis are expensive, says Sister Julienne, and Sister Monica Joan says, do you not know about the omnibus strike? I would surely incur the wrath of heaven to consider public transport during a strike. And I say, amen, Sister Monica Joan, God yes. is on the side of labor. God is on the side of labor. <laughs> Agreed. Don't break a strike. Yes. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Jenny and Jimmy. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I really do not like or care about Jimmy. He's back and he's like mature now, I guess, because he's like an architect or whatever, working on a building. He's got a bow tie, like a. <laughs> Dill hole. I don't know. I wear a bow tie sometimes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm seriously hurt. That, I mean, you can attack Jimmy. Don't attack the bow tie. I don't know. Something about the bow tie on him. It's just because it's supposed to be like symbolic of his maturity somehow, and it's stupid. I mean, um, he is more mature than he, he was. Is he? Because he is Cause he doing. Because he has a job that he is uh, taking seriously okay like he was a flighty layabout with trust fund money like where was his money coming from we don't know but like nah he didn't earn it yeah and now he's earning something and doing something useful for the world and it's maybe not as uh uh service oriented as what jenny is doing Mm -hmm. but it is still productive and useful and it makes him a more mature person look at you defending jimmy (laughs) i don't think jimmy should be back in this show yeah i think we wrapped jimmy up Mm -hmm. and i roll my eyes when he comes back like you do and i also will get more into this as we get into the episode but jenny what are you doing with jimmy like she's all flirty with him now and like Come on, you you, you rejected, rejected him. him. In yeah, I mean, like, right. should he 
she doesn't treat him well. No. It's not nice. And it's a no. bad side of Jenny. But she's not perfect, so... No. And people, I mean, in real life, people can change their minds and people's relationships yeah. change and grow. I just, I did not need to see Jimmy again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my, my notes here say, Jenny, what are you doing with Jimmy, period? Mugh. <laughs> <laughs> I had to write that mugh down. Do you want to talk about Irene Kelly and the baby? Rene Kelly? Rene Kelly and her Well, I mean, birth? I kind of did. That, like, it's... What we see is a very straightforward birth. Yeah. What we see is a standard, call the midwife birth, where she goes and she helps her. The mother is there. There is a few things uh, foreshadowed, like the blanket that uh, has been, you know, the generational blanket. And then they take the baby downstairs and there's this tradition of uh, wetting the baby's head by having a drink. Yeah. Do you know the I wedding know the baby's Do you head? Know that? So it is a development, obviously, I mean, maybe not obviously, but uh, you can hear in the name of it, it's a development from, some, a symbolic development from baptism. So mm-hmm. in baptism, you wet the baby's head literally. Mm-hmm. So symbolically, you wet the baby's head by drinking. Traditionally, uh, only men. And traditionally, uh, the men would go away. <laughs> so they're like, I mean, traditionally, people do all kinds of things traditionally, but the usual explanation of the tradition of wetting the baby's head is the father, often right before the baby's born, sometimes right after the baby's born, goes off to the pub and has one last big hurrah. So it's like the baby shower for the father. Mm. Or like a bachelor party for fatherhood <laughs> instead of for marriage. Is you go off and you get really drunk with all your mates before the baby's born. And mostly when I was looking it up. Exactly. Mostly when I was looking it up, it was written by people being like, wetting the baby's head is a terrible tradition. Everyone should stop it. Or like women should also, new mothers should be allowed to go out and get, uh, have a night on the town. And the like, who, they when they have the energy for it. Um but anyway, so that's that tradition. The other tradition, there's just a couple of traditions mm-hmm. in this birth yeah. that we haven't seen before. And I, so there's the wedding the baby's head. There's, uh, Pat gives his baby silver. Oh, yeah. Do you know about that? No. He puts a coin. It's got to be silver, right? It's got to be silver. Uh, this is an ancient tradition, mostly associated with Scots. Mm. Pat is Irish. Uh, or seems to be, be Pat Kelly. <laughs> uh, but it's mostly associated with Scots, uh, possibly hearkening to the Magi giving Jesus gold. Mm. Though, uh, I don't know how it went from gold to silver, but it is silver. In Tudor times, it was anything, or for a long time, it was anything silver. And in Tudor times, it was a silver spoon. That's where you get the expression, oh, born with a silver spoon. spoon. And the idea is it's a superstition, it's luck. You put silver in the baby's hand. If the baby grabs onto it, they're going to be tight-fisted and miserly. If the baby drops it immediately, they're going to be generous or possibly irresponsible with money. If they kind of hold it loosely, that's the best. Mm. But uh, it's also practical because the that money is then the baby's. So mm. you set up a literal nest egg or fund for the baby. Oh, and again, that's where you get the Tudor expression, born with a silver spoon, because if you have a silver spoon to give your baby and then they are born with a literal nest egg hmm. of money that is theirs. I did not know. That is so interesting. I did not know that at all. Yeah. I mean, I'd heard that expression, obviously, but that's so cool. So both the wedding the baby's head and the silver spoon uh, for the baby and the blanket, uh, like they're all. This is a traditional. They're they're steeped in tradition and they're thinking, as I mean, people always do. But we're really seeing on the show them thinking about the baby's future and mm-hmm. building for it. And the silver is like planning for. It's like giving it a savings account, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So we really are uh, setting the stage for the tragedy that comes. Yeah. Is all these good luck charms completely fail. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, let's move on. 
Cynthia visits Rini to find the baby unresponsive in the cot. She tries to revive him to no avail. Dr. Turner and Sister Julianne arrive, but he's already gone. Sister Julianne says a prayer over the baby. Cynthia leaves crying on her way home. Jenny and Trixie comfort her, and Sister Evangelina sends her to bed. Sister Bernadette and Dr. Turner talk about the inquiry. She brings him a cup of tea, and they talk about faith. Peter finds out he has to take a physical exam to go to Africa and enlists Fred to help getting, getting in shape. Cynthia is questioned by the police about the baby's birth, her long hours, and the sip of whiskey. Trixie and Jenny talk in their room about Jimmy. Cynthia is on call but can't get out of bed. Jenny meets Jimmy for tea and finds out he has a girl but is not serious about her. In the clinic, a woman doesn't want Cynthia as her nurse. Sister Evangelina finds out about Peter's need for exercise and puts him to work in the garden. <laughs> Let's start with where you ended mm-hmm. with uh, Peter's plot and with the very ending because one of I love the like guilty exercising in the room and Sister Evangelina walks in and is like, what is going on here? <laughs> and Fred says, look. Are you in or are you out? Because if you're out, you know too much already. <laughs> like, what is he going to do? It's like almost if you're out, you have to die. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> you know too much. Also, like, why is it a secret from anyone except Chummy? Yeah. Like, Chummy's not there to see this. Why is it? I mean, I guess it's, it's slightly embarrassing. But he's been running around he's the streets. He's been running around the streets He's been, like, towing Poplar. children and, like, <laughs> sweating up the streets of Poplar. Like, there's no hiding this. <laughs> also, I mean, maybe this is unkind of me, but is Fred really the guy you go to to get you into shape? <laughs> I think Fred's just his friend. Okay. I know it's a little bit of a stretch to be like... A little bit of a stretch. Good idea. <laughs> Start off. For Fred to be his his uh, helper in this. But I think that we just have to go with the conceit that like the cast members of this show are friends with each other and therefore... <laughs> <laughs> go to each other for they help. go to each other for help. <laughs> It's, it's yeah okay this is mostly funny uh not to reiterate too much but everything we said last time about there's also very sweet that uh peter is like i have to i can't let uh chummy down yeah i have to be in shape i have to be in shape because it would break her heart and fred being like oh you'll fail great you'll stay here and you won't leave that's that sorted. Mm-hmm. And Peter's like, it'll break Chummy's heart. And Fred's like, well, we don't want that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about Sister Monica Joan before we move on to the sad part of this yes. recap. Yeah. Um, which is Sister Monica Joan comes back from the taxi and it's the same plot. Like the plot has not really evolved. Uh, but she says, like the Temple of Thebes, I crumble. Um, Temple of Thebes is the Luxor temple in Thebes that is a ruin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she's, I'm talking about her body, but also her, like, the respect that she's given. Her status mm-hmm. in the world has crumbled. She's looked upon. She is perceived as and treated as a ruin. Mm-hmm. And I also, I just, Sister Julienne is so torn by, like, I want to respect her. Uh, I don't want to be penny-pinching her. But also, I have responsibility for the, like, mm-hmm. we can't just spend infinite money on taxis. And Sister Julianne comes in and says, I thought you might like some tea. Sister Monica Jones says, well, it's not quite the temptation of Eve. <laughs> I'm just like, there is no need to be so snotty. Sister Monica Joan. Yeah, absolutely. Except absolutely. her feelings are hurt. Yeah. But I just, like, that cracked me up. There's, it's not quite the temptation of Eve, <laughs> but I'll take it. <laughs> Sister Monica Joan never fails to bring levity to this show, which is a, quite a nice uh, thing to have. So. Okay, so let's move on to the great sadness that is this show. That is, uh, Rini loses her baby 
to I think what we would ascribe now as SIDS. Yeah. This is sudden infant death syndrome. But when the postmortem by the end of the episode says his lung didn't inflate. Yeah. Which I don't know if that would be different from SIDS. I guess it may be a little different from SIDS, but regardless, this is something that happens and it happens even now. It's not uh, you know, a thing of the past that babies die. Babies who are well cared for Mm -hmm. and loved and seemed healthy. Yeah. And it's uh, an absolute, absolute tragedy. Everything about it is so tragic. I love when Dr. Turner and Sister Julianne arrive and Dr. Turner is so gentle. And so, uh, you know, he has to be the professional doctor that's there. But he's, of course, like, this is not his best call to get is for no. an infant and sister julianne does the prayer sister julianne quotes john eleven twenty five to 26 which is the opening sentence for the anglican funeral service mm-hmm. which by the way is for uh someone who's been baptized hmm. Interesting. so we don't know whether if she asks Thomas's, she asks the baby's name, mm-hmm. and they say it's Thomas. That's a little clue that he hasn't been christened. Yeah, exactly. So, I think, uh, like, only allowed. But uh, I think done. it's a little bit of a moment of Sister Julienne, characteristically for her, extending grace mm-hmm. in that, like, a legalistic Anglican would say, if he hasn't been christened, he shouldn't have the funeral sentences. Mm-hmm. Right? And there's little clues that he hasn't been christened, and she's giving him not just a blessing, but like the opening sentences of the funeral service that's supposed to be for baptized people. But she's always errs on the side of grace. Mm-hmm. Cynthia is. I mean, she's distraught this whole episode. This is very distressing. This is Cynthia. It was is already a fragile character, fragile person. She is based on a real woman who is named Cynthia, who is Jenny Lee's friend, who Jenny Lee remained very close to in future years and struggled with her mental health her entire life. Um, this. But, I mean, this tragedy is enough to put anyone over the edge. It's enough to shake anyone's confidence. And uh, I love the way when she comes home, we have, of course, Jenny and Trixie comforting her, but a sister Evangelina, who we see her hard side so often. But when it counts, we see her soft side. And this is where it counts. That she's not like, suck it up and get back to work, of course. She has seen this exact thing, I'm sure, and knows that... Cynthia needs gentleness and I'm sure treats Cynthia a little differently than she would Jenny or Trixie in that situation. She she has the insight to know that of all of them, Cynthia needs extra care. I love to Sister Evangelina's uh, tough love gentleness even in this mm-hmm. moment. Yeah. They're like, aspirin, bed, no arguments. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, she exactly. is still herself. That's, 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 yeah, that's exactly it, is that she is, uh, yeah, she's still herself. She still is the harshness, but of caring. Yeah, she's lovely. Mm-hmm. And we have the police, and it's Peter, of course, Yeah. Uh, questioning Cynthia. Yeah. I love the performance there. I really like that mm-hmm. Peter is so clearly uncomfortable asking these questions, but still does it. Mm-hmm. Again, with this theme of doing thing, hard things that you don't want to do, but have to. Yeah, exactly. And like this, uh, this whole situation of he has to ask these questions. These questions have to be asked. And uh, whether it's Peter or anyone, it's... It's an uncomfortable situation. A baby dying is uncomfortable for everyone involved, not to mention tragic, but there's that just level of uh, this loss. Yeah. Um, she, uh, they question her about, did you often drink on the job? And she has to defend 
her little like sip of whiskey that we saw yeah to wet the baby's head and and that and we can see in that moment when she does it we can see that she's like hesitant she like doesn't want to take a sip of whiskey and then it's like well it's such a happy moment Mm. okay i'll join you and this also means that someone told on her yeah. Someone in that room saw her drink that and, and is blaming her. And so well, there's... He says it was Pat, the father. The father. So, yeah. So we have, of course, when a tragedy strikes, people look for someone to blame. And the father is blaming Cynthia. And he'll find, you know, he finds any excuse to blame someone for his child's death. It's interesting. It makes me think of the episode where uh the baby is kidnapped mary kidnaps the baby mm-hmm. and everyone blames the mother yeah and this time everyone blames the midwife yeah but everyone blames someone there's always it's not it's never no one's fault mm-hmm. and later on at the clinic people are whispering about it and including a woman who doesn't want to go to cynthia and that's partly like she doesn't trust her, but there's also an element of superstition. Yeah, for sure. Like there's bad luck if you go to a... And, and she says, like, you know, I don't think... I think we hear very... Bre- barely hear it. It's quiet. But she says, like, I don't know. I don't think it's her fault, but best not take any chances. Exactly. Exactly. And that's just a... That's not something... Uh, like, I feel like you can say, oh, that's, you know, the 50s. They were superstitious lots or whatever. That time, that place, that whatever. But people are still very yeah. superstitious when it comes to things. And For sure. And will, you know, a nurse that her last baby died. I don't know if I want that nurse on, on me. You, you mentioned Dr. Turner being uh, gentle and human. Mm-hmm. as well as being professional. And we have a little moment in the kitchen with Dr. Turner. Not in the kitchen. In, in, the, in the, sorry. In the Nanata's house, in the, kind of the paperwork area. He's yeah, yeah. looking up the files and working on the inquiry. And Sister Bernadette comes in and offers him a cup of tea. And he says, uh, It's times like this I wish I had a faith. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd want some of your faith. It's times like this, I wish I had one. And she said, it's times like this, I wish it made a difference. Yeah. I, we've seen, you said earlier that uh, Dr. Turner is like the representative representative of secular uh, caring mm-hmm. in this world. And here we're really making that uh, explicit. Yeah, he's not faithful. I don't like, I, I... I like the sentiment. I think they could have reworked that line a little bit. I don't love it's times like this. I wish it made a difference. Because I think we see in this episode and in this show that it does make a difference. I think that's Sister Bernadette's feeling. Though. Yeah. I think that we're seeing here hints that she's not, that she's struggling in her faith. Yeah. And so Because I think in the... It's a, a testament to Laura Main's acting, who plays Sister Bernadette, is that she says that, and then she, you can see her regret it. Yeah. She wishes she hadn't have, had exposed herself in that way to this doctor, that she's been vulnerable with him, and it's admitted true. that her, like you know, that she doesn't, that she struggles with her faith. Okay. And he kind of, you know, he looks at her a bit surprised and she looks a bit, like, embarrassed. And then she doesn't join him for tea, though she does need to go to the dining room. But he invites her to have tea with him. Let's just make a note of that. (laughs) So let's move on to the next recap. At the clinic, a woman named Francine Spencer arrives late. She's unmarried and embarrassed about it, but Jenny treats her kindly. Cynthia is called to a birth, but struggles and ends up leaving to call Trixie to come instead. She cycles down the street and is almost hit. The nurses and nuns have to go looking for her, Jenny finding her sitting in an alley. They have a long talk and return home. 
Cynthia is given the envelope with the results of the baby's autopsy and reassured that she did nothing wrong. She goes to Mrs. Kelly, helps her fold blankets before examining her. Francine Spencer, mm-hmm. uh, not at all. I mean, not the first unmarried mother we've seen on this yeah. show by any means. Yeah. Not the last. Uh, but she's embarrassed about it. Mm-hmm. She says it's the only sin that shows. Uh, which it's not at all the only sin that shows. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I can see that, that line of thinking. I can see that line of thinking. Especially in the 1950s. Yeah. Um, I like, there's a... Uh, Thing throughout this entire show that about wedding rings, that yes. uh, you are if you're married, you're expected to wearing be wearing a wedding ring, even though like not necessarily would you be. But there's a a glance that they're either checking for a wedding ring, or the woman is hiding that she doesn't have one, or all kinds of things that this this happens repeatedly because pregnancy and marriage go hand in hand and there's an embarrassment for people like Francine who's like oh I don't have my I don't have a wedding ring therefore you know I don't have one I didn't think of it till you said that but I think even like when you were pregnant you didn't wear your wedding ring all the time I know totally my my fingers got too fat and I wore it on my neck swollen fingers is a thing (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) so like of all people to maybe not be wearing a wedding ring despite being married you would think pregnant women is a higher than normal that's exactly what I was thinking (laughs) that's exactly what I was thinking than average chance yeah <laughs> but it is it is a theme in this show that or uh, a thing that happens of the nurses glancing down or the woman hiding the fact that she's not wearing a wedding ring yes. and easily admitting it yeah because i don't know it's like they can't hide it yeah i can't think certainly not that we've seen so far but i can't think of a time when they've like pretended to be married and weren't mm-hmm. they like yeah no i'm not married yeah exactly <laughs> But I will be. But I will be. It's always, yeah, but I will he be. He will marry me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just hasn't yet. He just doesn't know yet. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know. I mean, he doesn't know about my pregnancy, but also the phrasing of, he'll marry me. He just doesn't know yet yeah, well, <laughs> that he's going to marry me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, Sister Julienne. I mean, let's talk about Cynthia's story here. Yeah, exactly. Sister Julianne asks Cynthia to take over with Mrs. Lennon and, like... She asks, but she isn't asking, mm-hmm. right? Exactly, and like it's time, you know, it's time to get back out there because this is her job, and she—they've allowed her time to be sad and to to um, to mourn and ha- struggle with what has happened. But they've all gone through this. Yeah. Not this exact thing, but I'm sure some of them have, and it's time to move on. It's time to it's move time forward. To, to move forward, and that's a constant theme. Like, I remember there's an episode of Scrubs where they talk about uh, having to tell someone that their loved one has died, and the doctor's the only one who has to do that, and then go back to work. Yeah. Everyone mm. you're telling that their loved one has died, they're sitting there in mourning then that doctor has to then go back to work and this is like the case of like the nurse nurses see all kinds of things these midwives see all kinds of things but they have to keep working because the work still needs to get done yep and it's cynthia i think back to the beginning of the episode when mrs kelly is in labor and cynthia says i know it hurts but you can't give up hmm yeah. And Trixie says almost the same words to Cynthia now. Like, yeah. I know it hurts, but you can't give up. Mm-hmm. You can't give up. You have to keep going. And uh, Sister Julianne is like, you, we need, you need to do this because it's your job and the work needs to be done. Mm-hmm. And Trixie is like, you need to go do this because you need to move past this and do like for your own good you can't yeah, give up exactly and i like that those two scenes happen back to back with mm-hmm. each other that we have like for the good of poplar you can't give up and for the good of your own self you have you have to keep going mm-hmm. exactly uh but she can't but she, she can't. tries she tries to help this woman in labor in a you know standard birth that she's always gone to and she calls in trixie and bikes away uh, 
I like the shot of her on the bike in traffic mm-hmm. and like the traffic is her problems. Yeah. <laughs> it's she... stressful to watch because you don't know. Like she gets struck by a bike and die. This is the kind of show where that might happen. Yeah, for sure. And she just like biking so fast with all the traffic around is like a visualization of her mental state. Yeah. Trixie shows up. She helps deliver. She delivers the baby. She goes back to Nanata's house and is like jokingly I'm gonna wring Cynthia's neck when of course when she sees her she won't be but then Cynthia's missing yep so they had expected Cynthia to stay and even be like a second pair of hands but they did not no one had expected that she would have just disappeared yeah she I mean and this is the theme of the episode most uh intensely here she's lost her nerve she doesn't believe in herself because people don't believe in her and we see those dots connected like she's mm-hmm. kind of going back to work as it, or she is, is going back in the uh uh clinic and the other the mother who's like i don't want to trust her and we see that affecting her and then the next thing we see is her being like i can't do it she's lost and the last thing that the uh mother says to her the last thing that mrs lennon says to cynthia before cynthia bikes away is like it was one of you young lot with the kelly baby Mm -hmm. and so realizing that mrs lennon knows about and is thinking about mrs kelly is the like catalyst to she loses her nerve because people don't believe in her Mm -hmm. we start off that people believed in us so we believed in ourselves People don't believe in Cynthia, so she doesn't believe in herself. And what persuades her to come back is that Jenny convinces her that the other nurses believe in her. Mm-hmm. What Jenny says to persuade her to come back is, Sister Julienne wouldn't have sent you out if she didn't believe in you. Exactly. It's still about, like, you can believe in yourself because other people believe in you. Mm-hmm. I, uh... On a lighter note, I had a thought of, like, she cycles away, she gets lost, or whatever. They all go out looking for her. Jenny finds her, has this long conversation, and takes her home. In a world without cell phones, without communication, (laughs) like, they all have to just eventually come back to Nanata's house without her. Yeah. Like, they all... Everyone else doesn't know that Jenny has found her. Jenny has found her. There's no way to, like, spread that news. How, like, just what a different world that is. That, like, we see a lot of, you know, the 50s being this different world in this show. But we also, and, but we, it's also, and a lot of, like, but it's also the same world. This is just another example of, like, man, the lack, the not being able to communicate. And the thinking about uh, how different it has become in that way that we've mm-hmm. gone from you know and not just the 50s because in the 50s a lot of places would have phones in houses a lot more yeah than we see in poplar yeah poplar you they have the phone booths on the corner like their wife is in labor and they're not calling from their house they're calling from the phone booth at the corner which maybe wouldn't make a difference in this particular storyline mm-hmm. but is like something that makes a difference day by day and week by week that they yeah rush down to the corner to call for help. I uh, was talking to... I don't know if this is really an appropriate place to put this, but <laughs> it uh, reminds me. I was talking to my mom about Call the Midwife, mm-hmm. uh, and she told me, and I know she listens to the show, so hi, Mom. Um, <laughs> and she told me that one of uh, her closest and oldest friends grew up in the East End of London. Oh, really? Cool. Uh, and won't watch Call the Midwife because it is too... It reminds her too much of what it was like, mm-hmm. which was not uh, something she wants to remember. Mm-hmm. I could see that. Uh, and one of the things she said is like, no phones in houses and running down to the phone booth to call for help if you needed to call for help was like, yeah, that mm-hmm. is what she remembers. Yeah. Well, even my dad growing up in the 50s, they had a party line to, they had a phone in their house, but it was also 10 other people's phone. And so you could (laughs) 
you had to wait for your own ring to answer it, and if you picked it up when it wasn't your own ring, you were picking up somebody else's phone. You could listen <laughs> you in could on just other, listen people's, in. other people's phone calls. Ho ho. Yes. So all the stuff about believing in yourself, back to more weighty things. Mm-hmm. Uh, what Jenny does to persuade Cynthia to come back is pers- convince her that the other nurses believe in her. And then this part that you recapped kind of ends this section with the postmortem coming back and Dr. Turner, before he lets her open it, say, what do you think? Mm-hmm. And that, like, on one hand, it seems almost cruel. Yeah. But he says, you know, your profession's about instinct. You have to uh, figure out, decide whether you trust yourself. Mm-hmm. No matter what the results of this are, you have to make decisions for your own self about how much you trust yourself mm-hmm. before you can move forward. And you're going to be making these judgments all the time. And she has to like, I did everything I could. And now let's find out if my, <laughs> if my instinct is yeah. right. But I like, it's important that they can't be like, everything turned out fine, so it's okay. Because if she still doesn't trust herself, if she still doesn't trust her instincts, mm-hmm. then the result isn't going to actually make things better. Yeah. Moving on to our last bit of the episode. Jenny runs in to Francine Spencer, who is now engaged and it turns out to be Jimmy. <laughs> Cynthia looks for funds to give to the Kellys for their baby's funeral. And Sister Monica Joan ends up donating her taxi funds. Peter passes his physical exam. And Jimmy shows up to Nanata's house to talk to Jenny about Francine. He still loves Jenny and doesn't love Francine, but the situation is what it is. The funeral is held for baby Thomas. Sister Monica Jones' family visits and Chummy sets out a farewell lunch for the nurses with no one in attendance, but a surprise as her cubs come singing down the hall with everyone else. The phone rings and Cynthia is the one to run and answer it. Everyone says an emotional goodbye to Chummy and Peter. The mature Jenny ends... or. I don't think it's the very last thing, but near the end of this says what I was saying a second ago about believe other people believing in you is good, but you ha- in the end you have to believe in yourself too, mm-hmm. and that's even better. Yeah. And so she makes text what has been the theme of the... I mean, that's often what a voiceover's <laughs> purpose <Yes>. <laughs> is in any context of a film or TV show, mm-hmm. to make text the theme. She says out loud, like... You have to believe in your own self. Believing in yourself is better than other people believing in you. Mm-hmm. And that's the wrap up. And when uh, Cynthia meets, uh, just to the, the moments of wrapping up this mm-hmm. story, when Cynthia meets uh, the Kellys, and as Kelly says, that Sister Evangelina has been coming by. Mm-hmm. I'm like, of course she has. Yeah. First, Sister Evangelina has been coming by. Mm-hmm. That's just like a little thing st- stuck in there, a little yeah. line of dialogue. The, the experienced midwives are the ones who step in. Yeah. So that's also a thread of like, they trusted us young girls, blah, blah, blah. But when these things happen, we see Sister Evangelina and Sister Julianne step in. Yeah. And take the lead on these cases because they have the experience. Yeah. Uh, And their story ends with, like, tragedy still. I mean, it's uh, so much sadness, but it ends with them not having enough money for the funeral. And Sister Monica Joan gives up her taxi fund mm-hmm. because as we noted earlier in the episode what sister monica joan wants more than money for a taxi is to be useful yeah exactly and so that like giving up her taxi money is for sister monica joan's uh mental well-being like the best possible thing mm-hmm. she can actually do something actually helpful yeah 
exactly. Um, what we haven't mentioned is all through this episode, the father of the baby who dies, Pat Kelly uh, has a sling on his arm, and so he hasn't been able to work. And so that's part right. of why the reason they can't afford a funeral. And part of the reason for his anger, too, is a, is like a he's at home, he's not working, so there's some, like, he's an angry man right now anyway. And then we end... Yeah, his sling. So, yeah. So he's... I think I finished what I was saying there. And then we end their story with the funeral and, like, the tiny coffin. Oh, tiny coffins. Like... like, there's literally nothing sadder than a tiny coffin. There just isn't. That also, um, he wasn't baptized. Is that a thing that they don't usually give funerals to babies who aren't baptized? Or is that uh, I don't my know. imagination? I feel like that is... So it's an extra special, but maybe that's I maybe I'm wrong on that. I don't. I didn't actually look that up. I know that the liturgy is for baptized people, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I mean, they must have some kind of funeral for an infant that dies. That must be mm. usual. Yeah, right. Because they just can't afford it. So yeah, yeah. Okay. Um. So let's get. Back to Jimmy and Francine and Jimmy. Do we have to? <laughs> I don't well, care. I yeah. Okay, come on. So let's. Jim, so... Jimmy is James now, and Jenny doesn't like it. Yeah, he's he's James now. <laughs> um. So of course they run into each other on the street, and Jenny has to pretend she doesn't know Jimmy, which I find kind of stupid, but I get it. Um, and then he shows up at the house to like. I don't even know what he wants. He wants Jenny to know that he still loves her and that he didn't didn't expect this to happen basically. But like and she's she needs to know whether he loves Francine or not. He basically says he doesn't. But what else is he going to do? Yeah. This is where this this whole plot line drives me crazy because what does Jenny want from him? Yeah. She needs what she needs from him is to for him to go away. Like she's like, I want to be your friend. I want to, you know, I want to know if you love her. Well, of course, like, uh, uh. not necessarily, of course, but yeah, like, what else? What else do you want from him? What do what? Like, you have to be sure you love her because you're having a baby. No, he doesn't. He's doing the right thing by marrying her, in my opinion, because it's the 50s and this is the culture. I mean, like, he has to, I think he has to uh, financially and emotionally support the baby. Yeah. And what else do you want from him, Jenny? I don't know what Jenny wants from him. Exactly. So, bye-bye, Jimmy. Don't let the... Door hit you on door the way out. <laughs> Lady Shatterly's door hit you on the way out. <laughs> Sorry, if you like Jimmy, please uh, respond to us at Poplar Opinion on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> so Chummy, and, let's get to Chummy and Peter, who is so, a couple that we actually love. Uh, yeah, Chummy gets back from her like week away of training mm-hmm. and finds out that possibly they couldn't really go because Peter has his examination and he gets all mad. He's like, I didn't want to tell you. <laughs> Actually, like, I really love their fight. Mm-hmm. Because he's like, why she's, Why didn't you tell me? You knew before I went away that you had to do this examination. And he said, excuse me if I didn't want to tell you that I'm too much of a roly-poly. I'm going to ruin your chances. And she's just like, I'm not a roly-poly. <laughs> I, she delivers it almost like that in the... Uh, Doppelgangland episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Willow says, I'm not a vampire. You're not a roly poly. <laughs> it's adorable and sweet. And mm-hmm. Peter is uh, more like, Peter is embarrassed and afraid and takes yeah. it all out in, as anger. As anger. Which adds to the realism of their relationship. I know, they're not just like wonderful, always supportive. Like you said, they're so supportive of each other and they are. But. 
I love actually seeing Peter yelling at her when he's the one who's embarrassed and afraid and she didn't do anything to make him mad, actually. because that's totally a fight that married people have. (laughs) Defensive anger. Defensive anger. (laughs) Is is familiar. I don't know. I recognize it somehow. I don't recognize it in my, you know, we never fight Never. (laughs) I recognize it from TV. Right, from TV. Um, And they both kind of, admit their vulnerabilities to each other and support each other and she still is doubting herself that she's being selfish but once again the same little theme that like he believes in her Mm -hmm. so she believes that god is calling her but she's not sure yeah and he believes in her and so she can believe in herself Mm -hmm. and then the whole episode ends with like her in the kitchen making the sandwiches like did everyone forget to come and sister evangeline is like Maybe. <laughs> I, know, like, I know she's in on it, but it's so believable that she's just like, well, I, I would just like to eat this delicious food that you've set out here, so uh, I'm going to do that. Did, it, did everyone forget about me? Could be. <laughs> We've had a pretty busy week. That's true, we have. Jeez. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> yep. And then all the Cub Scouts are singing Peter and Chubby's song that they waltzed in their bedroom to. Yeah. Perhaps it's, it's, a little over the... No, no it's sweet. It's so sweet. Everyone, everyone coming down the hall. And little Jack. Jack leading the song and like... Mm. Yeah, no, it's adorable. Yeah. It's so sweet. And everybody loves Chummy. And to like really drive home the... You can believe in yourself because other people believe in you. Like Chummy has been full all two seasons mm-hmm. of self-doubt and not just self-doubt of her competence but of like how she fits in mm-hmm. in poplar in life yeah in the world and to have like them all singing her off with like yeah. you fit in and we love you and everybody loves you it's like it is it's very sweet yeah i mean they're and What's interesting, this is again about the technology difference, which I seem to be talking about today, which is they're only leaving for six months. Like, in the grand scheme of things, six months isn't very long. But maybe I can think that because when I'm away from my family for, I mean, my all the time, I can <laughs> communicate with them all the time. I can communicate with them in seconds. Whereas they're in Sierra Leone in the 50s, like a couple of letters yeah a cu- like my parents lived in australia in the 70s with with the rest of their family in canada they sent like a telegram when my sister was born they sent letters but it took weeks and weeks for those letters to arrive mm-hmm. and so this is the same kind of thing so six months is a long time when there's so little communication and so much can change and they're in a field like midwifery where things could really change in the time that they're gone. It's true. And we'll find out, I guess, over the next few episodes how much things change. I don't yeah, remember I don't remember how many. Uh, no spoilers, but Chummy does come back eventually. Well, yeah, she comes. It's a six month thing. I mean, so she, she says they yeah. say, but I don't remember. I really cannot remember how many episodes they're gone for. Yeah, me neither. How many episode, how long an episode time they're gone. Mm-hmm. So I guess we'll find out. I guess we'll find out. Do you have uh, anything else to say about this episode? What? Uh, I think so. What was your favorite part? My favorite part is hard to decide, as always. What was my favorite part? Uh, I think my favorite part of the episode is... Are you in or are you out? Because if you're out, you already know too much. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great part. That is a great part, Sister Angelina. Um, I think my favorite part is the schmaltzy, all the cubs, and, then, and the nurses singing at the very end in the farewell. So sweet. To and we didn't, Peter. I mean, you said in your recap, but, and Cynthia goes off to answer exactly. the phone because that she is... has regained her confidence. Mm-hmm. That is a very important moment in that. Yeah. So this is a very, I mean, they're all heavy episodes, but this is a very sad episode. Uh, But I think there were some moments of, like you said, there's moments of levity and some moments of of sweetness. And I Mm -hmm. like that last moment of sweetness saying goodbye to to Chummy and Peter, who are off to Sierra Leone. Yep. Uh, 
So thanks for listening to season two, episode two with us. If you would like to give us your thoughts on Call the Midwife, you have anything to say, you can contact us in a number of ways uh, by email, poplar at clockworksacademy.com, on Twitter at Poplar Opinion. We're also on Facebook. If you can search Poplar Opinion on Facebook, we're there, kind of. You can uh, also, if you are interested, you've ne- by now heard me share my two birth stories. If you would like to share yours, please do email us at poplar at clockworksacademy.com. All of those things that I've just rattled off really quickly and you had to scramble to find a piece of paper to write down or whatever, uh, those are all in our show notes. So you can br- per- peruse those, browse those, peruse those at your leisure leisure (laughs) if you like poplar opinion tell your friends rate and review us on your podcast player of whatever Mm -hmm. and uh, if you want to support us so that we keep making poplar opinions you can do that on patreon at uh, patreon.com slash clockworkscast i have been paul moffat i've been jan moffat and that's just my poplar opinion Thank you.